This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Mapper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight, I'm bringing you the story of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, two of the worst serial killers I've never heard of. They believed that with the end of the world drawing near, it was their job to repopulate the earth. And in doing so, they would kidnap, rape, torture, and kill, documenting much of it along the way. We'll never really know the true scope of their reign of terror. Many of their victims will never be identified. This is a tough one and not for those who are sensitive, so this is your warning. Before we get started, let's talk about something a little lighter while also still very much on topic. Our sponsor for tonight's episode is O'Brien Garage Doors, a family-owned and operated garage door company that provides residential garage door services, including repair, sales, installation services, and more. Keeping your garage door in proper repair is actually a key part of keeping yourself safe, so listen up. Their technicians are certified and trained to take care of all of your garage door needs so that you can rest easy. Whether your garage needs service or you just need a brand new one, they're happy to help. Only $49.50 to get it checked out and tuned up at O'BrienDoor.com. Or you can search for them on Google at O'Brien Garage Doors near me. You can also schedule your service right on their website. So stop delaying those repairs, get it done, and relax knowing that your garage door is doing its job. That's O'BrienDoor.com. Now let's jump in. Our story begins on the morning of June 2nd, 1985, in southern San Francisco. Police get a call about a possible shoplifting incident at a hardware store. When they arrive on the scene, they speak with a witness who's there, who said that the suspect was described as a man of Asian descent. He was seen walking out of the hardware store with a $75 table vice, and when he was confronted, he tossed it in the trunk of a tan 1980 Honda Prelude. The suspect at this point had apparently fled the scene because he was nowhere to be found, but with this eyewitness testimony, police were able to open the trunk of the car in question to take a look. Inside, they found the stolen table vice, as well as a gun with a silencer on it. 
While police were taking a closer look at this illegally modified weapon, a man walked out of the store and over to the vehicle in question. He was described as being Caucasian, mid-40s, overweight, and had a beard. The man said that it was his vehicle, and he actually paid for the vice that his friend had taken. He gave police his driver's license, which had the name Robin Stapley. But according to police, this man didn't resemble the photo on the license, and he definitely wasn't in his 20s like the license stated. When police ran the plates on the Honda Prelude, they came back as being registered to a man named Lonnie Bond, and the plate was actually supposed to be attached to a Buick, not a Prelude. So it's at this time police decided they needed to take this man into custody for further questioning. While in the back of the police car on the way to the station, the man tells the officer that the name of the man who had shoplifted earlier, you know, the vice, he was Charles Ng. Police call it in and decide to do a background check on Charles. They quickly find out that this Charles Ng guy is much more than just a shoplifter. Now let's take a second to talk a little bit more about this Charles Ng guy. Charles Ng was born on December 24th, 1960 in Hong Kong to a wealthy businessman. He was described as being a very rebellious teenager who was frequently caught stealing and even expelled from several schools. At 18 years old, Ng obtained a student visa to study in the U.S., where he briefly attended the College of Notre Dame in Belmont, California. He eventually dropped out before graduating, and it was around this time that he was charged with a hit-and-run offense, so he lied about his birthplace and joined the Marines. But it wasn't long before he was caught stealing again, and this time he was stealing military-grade weapons. So now he's facing court-martial, and he decided instead of going to jail, he would escape custody in 1980 and go on the lam. But in 1982, he's busted in another illegal weapons police raid, and so he's returned to the Marines' custody and pleads guilty to the theft and desertion charges. He served three years in Leavenworth Prison before being released. So yeah, I guess you could say Charles Ng had a criminal background, more than just stealing small items from hardware shops. Now, we're back at police headquarters. They begin to question this other man, the man with the clearly fake ID, driving a car with clearly stolen plates. Of course, this guy flatly denies any charges, giving the police one or two word answers, not really wanting to cooperate with them at all. But after several hours of questioning who this guy is, what's going on, what's with the plates, what's with the ID, finally the unknown man begins to talk. But only a little. He says his name is Leonard Lake, and he was prepared to make a statement. He'd like a pencil, piece of paper, and a glass of water first. So police bring Leonard Lake the items and then step out of the room for a moment while he begins to write his statement. When they came back in to check on Lake, they found him convulsing on the floor, unresponsive. He was rushed to the emergency room where doctors were able to determine that he died of cyanide poisoning. Yep, that's right. He had taken a cyanide capsule and swallowed it in order to avoid being arrested. It's like those spy movies where the spy bites down on a cyanide pill, you know, if they're ever captured so that they aren't forced to reveal any information that they may or may not know. Lake was found to be brain dead and he was placed on a life support system. 
But on June 6th, doctors removed Lake from his life support and he was pronounced dead. And while he hadn't used that pencil and paper he was given at the station to actually write a confession, he did use it to write a letter to a woman named Lynn. The letter read, Dear Lynn, I love you. I forgive you. Freedom is better than all else. I'm sorry, Mom, Patty, and all. I'm sorry for all of the trouble. Love, Leonard. Police didn't initially know who this Lynn might be, but they were able to find out in a series of twists and turns and so, so many missing people. Things are going to get a little bit complicated here because after the situation with Leonard Lake and Charles Ng stealing at the hardware store, everything would come to light pretty quickly. Police had no idea of what kind of horror they had just uncovered, but they knew that they had to find Charles Ng, so they put out a warrant for his arrest. Now, police had to figure out what the hell was going on and why Leonard Lake had chosen to die by cyanide. What was he hiding? Well, first, I think we need to talk a little bit about who this Leonard Lake character is or was. He was a real doozy of a person, I guess. An absolute piece of trash kind of guy. Leonard Lake was born in San Francisco, California on October 29, 1945. When he was six years old, his parents separated, and so he and his siblings, they were sent to live with their maternal grandparents. Growing up, he was said to be a bright child, but all of this was overshadowed by the fact that he had this sexual deviance. Even when he was little, much too early to even really be thinking about these kind of things, at an early age, he began taking nude photos of his sisters. And one article that I read said that his grandmother actually encouraged it. So again, this may have been a case of nature that unfortunately was compounded by nurture. He had a pornography addiction, which was then amplified when he became an adolescent. And then he began extorting sexual favors from his sister in return for protection from their brother, Donald, who was reportedly prone to violent outbursts. It's also been said that he enjoyed killing mice by dissolving them in chemicals. So he had all of the makings to turn out to be psychotic and violent. In 1965, at age 19, he enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps and did service in Vietnam during the war as a radar operator. He also underwent two years of psychiatric therapy at Camp Pendleton before his ultimate discharge in 1971 after having been diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. Now, I looked it up, and if you have schizoid personality disorder, it's likely that you prefer being alone and choose to do activities alone. You don't want or enjoy close relationships. You feel little, if any, desire for sexual relationships. You feel like you can't experience pleasure. You have difficulty expressing emotions and reacting appropriately to situations. You may seem humorless, indifferent, or emotionally cold to others. You may appear to lack motivation and goals, and you don't react to praise or critical remarks from others. Lake demonstrated many of these characteristics, but he also openly displayed this fascination with the concept of collecting slaves, particularly collecting sex slaves. 
After he was discharged from the military, he moved to San Jose, California, and began attending the San Jose University. But he dropped out after only one semester, and he basically became a hippie. He moved to San Francisco, he joined a hippie commune, where he met and married his first wife in 1975. However, that marriage didn't last long, and it ultimately failed after she discovered that he was making amateur porn movies, usually involving bondage. So as you can see, there's kind of a theme going on here. He's into some BDSM stuff, totally fine, no judgment here as long as you have two consenting adults. But as I mentioned, his fantasies often crossed the line. For the next eight years, Lake lived at the Greenfield Ranch, which was a 5,600-acre settlement in Northern California. And it was here that Lake became obsessed with the idea of a global nuclear war. He really became paranoid, talking about the end of the world. And this is when he began to collect guns. It was also around this time that he met and married his second wife, Clarilyn Belaz, nicknamed Cricket. Keep Clarilyn in mind because she's going to become an important player in our story. Shortly after marrying Clarilyn around 1981, he met Charles Ng. Okay, so that's some of the backstory on Leonard Lake and when he met Charles Ng. We're going to learn a lot more about them both soon, but I wanted to give you a little bit of insight into the guy that we're dealing with here. So if Leonard Lake just committed suicide by swallowing cyanide, whose ID was he carrying around? Remember, he had initially shown police a stolen ID with the name Robin Stapley. Stapley was a 26-year-old man, and he was the founder of San Diego's Guardian Angels chapter, which is sort of a vigilante group that promotes community safety. When police couldn't get a hold of Stapley to see how his ID may have come into Lake's hands, they contacted his family, who told police that they had actually reported him missing several weeks earlier. All right, that's suspicious, but police knew that adults can disappear of their own free will anytime they wanted to, so they created the report and moved on. Next, police took a look at that tan 1980 Honda Prelude that Lake had been driving, the one that Charles Ng had thrown the stolen vice into the back of. They decided to run a check of the vehicle identification number, the VIN, on the Prelude, and the report came back saying that the car belonged to a man named Paul Costner, who was a resident of San Francisco. When they looked up who Costner was, they discovered that he too had been reported missing by his family nine months ago. The police called up his sister, who said that he had a date with his girlfriend for dinner, but then he failed to show up. Earlier that same day, he had gone to meet someone interested in buying his car, but he never returned home after that, and he was never seen again. Now, this was the second missing person associated with Leonard Lake, but there's going to be a whole lot more. Please take a closer look at the contents of that car, the Prelude, hoping to find some more answers. And they find a ton, including a bullet hole in the car's roof, along with blood splatter, a stun gun, and several unspent bullets. Among the property were several bank cards and credit cards and other documents in the name of Robin Scott Stapley, which had been found in the glove compartment. Under the passenger seat was a utility bill and the name of Clarilyn Belaz, who was Leonard Lake's ex-wife, which included an address to a cabin in Wilseyville. 
So please kind of connected the dots here. Claire Lynn, Balas, the ex-wife, must be the Lynn who Lake had written that last letter to. The one he wrote just before taking the cyanide. Police knew they had to talk to her. So they look Claire Lynn up in the system. They find her most recent address and pay her a visit. When they show up at the door, she tells police that the two, her and Leonard Lake, they were once married but divorced after he began acting really erratic, talking about the end of the world and collecting guns. They ask her how this bill with her name on it ended up in this car that had a bullet hole and blood in it. She says that the bill has an old address on it, and the address is actually a cabin rented by Leonard Lake, so he must have picked up her mail. Police ask if they can search this cabin, and she agrees. But she says it's in a remote location and can only be found by someone familiar with the area. So the detectives then make arrangements for her to take them to the cabin the following day. Now, the following day, it's the morning of Tuesday, June 4th, when driving up to the property, police meet Belaz and Lake's mother, Gloria, who say that they've been cleaning up the cabin. Police, of course, are like, why? Like, you can't be in there. They advised her if she had removed any evidence, she could be found guilty of obstructing justice. But she explained that she'd been looking for some videos that her and Lake had taken, you know, some sexy time videos, and she only wanted to save herself from embarrassment. Either way, super suspicious, like everyone kind of knows you don't go clean up a place that the police want to look at. So police get ready to search the cabin and they are not prepared for what they will find. They walk in and they see the cabin consists of two bedrooms, a kitchen, and a bathroom. Upon entering the cabin, they discovered video equipment in the master bedroom, as well as a bed with holes drilled into the posts, as if it were used to tie up and restrain someone to the bed. These were actually electrical cords tied to each of its posts. There appeared to be a spray of reddish colored stains on the living room ceiling and several bullet holes in the walls and floors. To one side of the bed was a dresser, and when they opened it, they found that it contained an assortment of women's lingerie, many of which were soiled with dark red stains. When they lifted the first layer of the mattress, they found that the bottom layer also was soaked in something that looked like blood. Now, police, they take a closer look at the video equipment, which included a video camera pointed straight at the bed. Luckily, this camera, the serial numbers hadn't been removed, so police were able to look it up and see that it was recorded back to belonging to a man named Harvey Dubs. And Harvey, well, he had vanished from his San Francisco apartment along with his wife Deborah and their infant son Sean in July of 1984. Yet, even more missing persons connected back to Leonard Lake. The family had last been seen by a neighbor who saw them talking to two men who come to the house to inquire about the equipment, which Harvey Dubs had advertised for sale in a local paper. Clearly not just another coincidence. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. 
Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Beside the cabin on the same property was another building that looked like a mix between a shed and a bunker, but police couldn't search it because their warrant only included the cabin. And guess what? The ex-wife, she wouldn't let them search it. However, with all of this evidence that they had just collected, they requested a new warrant that included the entire property, and they told Clarilyn Ballas to stay the hell away from the property in the meantime. 
The following day, police came back with a full warrant, which included the whole property and that bunker. Now, before we get to the bunker, sitting on the property, police found vehicles belonging to Lonnie Bond and Robin Scott Stapley. Both of these men had been reported missing for some time, and as it turned out, they were renting a house just 50 yards from Lake's cabin, along with Brenda O'Connor and their infant son, Lonnie Bond Jr. Detectives went over to the house to see what was up, and they found it completely empty. They also talked to the landlord and learned that their rent had not been paid for several months. Now, as for this bunker... The bunker was a dream come true for Leonard Lake, straight from his sexual fantasies. In his teenage years, Lake had read a book called The Collector, which tells the story of a young man who captures a young woman named Miranda. He then keeps her as a slave in hopes that she would eventually fall in love with him. Remember, Lake has this whole sex slave fantasy, so this book would have been everything to him. And this bunker was the perfect place for him to carry out all of these sort of sexual fantasies that he had. Now, inside the bunker, investigators found a copy of that book, The Collector, as well as some tools, handcuffs, women's clothing, and makeup. Posted on a wall was a list of typewritten rules for a female captive to follow. Here are the rules as they were written. Try not to vomit in your mouth. Number one, I must always be ready to service my master. I must be clean, brushed, and made up with my cell neat. Number two, I must never speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I must never look my master in the eye, but must keep my eyes downcast. Number three, I must never show my disrespect, either verbally or silent. I must never cross my arms or legs in front of my body or clench my fists, and unless eating, must always keep lips sealed. Number four, I must be obedient completely and in all things. I must obey and without question or comment. Number five, I must always be quiet when locked in my cell. Number six, I must remember and obey any additional rules told to me. I must understand that disobedience, any pain, trouble, or annoyance caused by me to my master will be grounds for punishment. Along with these rules were pictures of 21 women. Some of them were nude. Police also found a hidden door, and behind it was a tiny windowless cell with a small mattress and a bucket, which may have been used as a toilet. Investigators believed that women had likely been held in this cell as Lake's prisoners. Police continued to search the property around the cabin and this bunker. Cadaver dogs were brought in and led the investigators to bones that were definitely not animal bones. So now, this was a homicide investigation. While the search continued, police questioned Lake's ex-wife, the woman who actually owned the property, Clarilyn Belaz. She knew that she was in a ton of shit. Her name was the one on this property, and evidence was just continuing to mount. So she struck up a deal with police. She would tell them everything that she knew in exchange for complete immunity. I'm talking complete immunity. She couldn't be charged with anything, including murder. And so she spilled the beans about Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. 
Remember, Charles Zhang was the shoplifter at the beginning of our story, the one who was apparently on the run now. And I guess the two enjoyed doing some really sick and twisted shit together. Leonard Lake had placed an ad in a survivalist magazine, and supposedly that's how he met Charles Zhang. The two, when they met, they bonded really quickly. They became great friends, and Lake invited him to come live with him and his wife. The three of them were all really close, like a twisted little love triangle slash family. They would discuss guns and survival techniques, and then they would also record sex videos together. Clarilyn would say that she just kind of went along with it. It wasn't something that she enjoyed or she brought up. She just sort of went along with it, and that was what ultimately ended their marriage in the end. And once they got tired of recording these videos with Clarilyn, they moved on to their next phase of the plan. They would kidnap rape, torture, and murder their slaves. And when they were done with them, they would burn and bury the remains on the property. And boy, did they ever. The grounds of the ranch were dug up, and 12 corpses were uncovered in shallow graves. Police also found charred fragments of human bones in excess of 45 pounds in total, but they were unable to determine the identity of the victims or their number. What we do know for sure is their victims included their neighbor Lonnie Bond, his girlfriend Brenda O'Connor, their infant son Lonnie Jr., and Harvey and Deborah Dubbs and their young son Sean. There are believed to be so many more victims who will likely never be identified. Investigators also found a hand-drawn treasure map, which led them to two buried five-gallon buckets. So they dug up these buckets and they found one contained envelopes with names and victims and their identifications, suggesting that the total number of victims may have been as high as 25. In the other bucket were Lake's handwritten journals for the years 1983 and 1984, which he called the Miranda Project. In it, he describes tracking humans like rabbits. He would sometimes release his captives into the woods so that he could enjoy the sport. Once he caught them, he'd subject them to a variety of hideous deaths, and then he would burn the remains. He also wrote about how he was convinced there was going to be a global nuclear war, and he planned on surviving in his bunker and rebuilding the human race with a collection of female slaves. There were also two videotapes documenting the torture of a few of their victims. On one of the tapes, labeled M Ladies, Charles Ng is seen telling one victim, Brenda O'Connor, as he cuts her shirt off with a knife, you can cry and stuff like the rest of them, but it won't do any good. We are pretty cold-hearted, so to speak. In another part of the tape, another victim, Kathy Allen, is seen seated in a chair with Leonard Lake warning her, if you don't go along with us, we'll probably take you into the bed, tie you down, rape you, shoot you, and bury you. In the other, another victim, Deborah Dubbs, is shown being assaulted so severely that she could not have survived. The men, they would hogtie these women in various positions, force them into oral sex and orgies, or be put in leg irons. The sex captives were aged anywhere between 12 and 20-something, and only six of the women featured in these home movies were later found alive. Fifteen of them are still missing. 
On another video, there's a clip of Leonard Lake describing what he wants from these sexual slaves. And I actually have a clip of it right here that I'm going to play you now. What I want is an off-the-shelf sex partner. I want to be able to use a woman whenever and however I want. And when I'm tired or bored or not interested, I simply want to put her away, lock her up in a little room, get her out of my sight, out of my life. Slave. There's no way around it. Primarily a sexual slave, but nonetheless a physical slave as well. I believe that I can, if I can construct a holding cell, a place where I can put such a woman, a facility that is so stark and so empty, so cold, so quiet, so totally removed from the world, that I can quickly condition a young woman to cooperate with me fully. So now it was pretty clear why Lake had killed himself. He knew that shit was about to hit the fan, and he was an absolute coward. He didn't want to face the consequences. He didn't want to go to jail. Charles Ng, meanwhile, was still on the run. His buddy had abandoned him. Womp, womp, womp. And according to the testimony given by Balaz, after fleeing the lumber yard on foot that day, you know, after the attempted shoplifting, Ng went right to her house and told her that he had to leave town immediately. So she drove him to San Francisco International Airport, where he boarded a flight bound for Chicago using an alias Mike Kimoto. A friend of Ng's then picked him up and drove him from Chicago to Detroit, where he crossed the border into Canada, where his sister lived. He eventually arrived in Calgary, Alberta, and went undetected until, whoops, he got busted again for stealing. Thankfully, this guy was an absolute klepto, and he just couldn't help himself, apparently. He got caught by police for attempting to steal a can of salmon. Yep, a can of salmon. He was arrested, charged, and in December 1985, consequently convicted of shoplifting, assault with a weapon, and possession of a concealed firearm. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. That's right, no murder charges yet, not until he was finally extradited back to the U.S. on September 26, 1991. But he did put up a good fight. He tried to delay his extradition as long as he could, bringing up anything sort of frivolous, whatever he could think of. But in the end, it didn't matter. He'd have to face up to the crimes he committed. It took another seven years and over $10 million worth of taxpayers' money for him to be put on trial for murder in October of 1998. Clara Lynn Balaz, well, she spoke about what she knew, the weapons, the people she'd seen on the property, and then she went on living her life. Her deal meant that she could never be connected to any of the crimes. I hate deals like that. I get why we have them. I get that sometimes they're essential, but it kind of reminds me of Carla Homolka. I mean, I have no idea if Blas had anything to do with the crimes, but she definitely knew more than an innocent woman would. Charles Ng pled not guilty and said that Leonard Lake was the one who kidnapped, raped, and murdered their victims without him, that he was just a witness and he only participated as an observer, and this was all because he was messed up. His father had abused him when he was a child. However, the prosecution, well, they had other evidence that just kind of sealed the deal, showing that he really played a pivotal role in every part of the crimes. 
One of the pieces was a photo of Charles in his cell with cartoons that he had drawn of his victims hanging on the wall behind him. There were drawings of children being sacrificed and eaten, just pictures that he drew in prison that they'll make your stomach turn. I don't suggest looking them up, but they are on Google if, I don't know, you're morbidly curious. In the end, Charles Zhang was found guilty by the jury on almost all counts, and he was sentenced to death. But because death row is a long, long, long process, he is currently still sitting on death row in San Quentin. Hey, isn't that where like Peterson is and all the other really, really bad guys? Man, that's a crazy place. All right, if you're here still listening and not totally freaked out and sick to your stomach, I'd like to thank you for, you know, putting up with it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case, especially, you know, what do you think of the ex-wife and the deal that she got? I want to hear it. I would once again like to thank tonight's sponsor. You guys, make sure you schedule your garage door servicing today at obriandoor.com slash schedule. Check out all their links in my show notes because I super appreciate your support and I super appreciate them for sponsoring tonight. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper. Or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you give me a like, thumbs up, and subscribe. If you'd like to become a patron and unlock some badass bonuses, visit patron.podbean.com slash Serial Napper. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.